1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with my friend, Steve Dotto. If you're a longtime listener, you may know him from the Blab days back in, say, 2016, I think it was, summer of 2016, when Blab was a thing. And if you don't know what that is, we talk about that a little bit. But basically, Steve is here to talk about a new book that he has co-authored called no limit over 50 what to do when you've been let go replaced displaced or just want something different from life and as somebody who's getting into my mid 40s as well as been replaced or displaced or let go and honestly we all kind of want something different from life so this book is very applicable And in this conversation, we talk all about what's in the book. We talk about what the current state is that we find ourselves in, in terms of the economy and the state of the world. But not only that, some steps as to what we can actually do about it. We get into the mindset, but we get into some action. So regardless of if you are nearing that age or you're past that age of 50 You're going to find something in this conversation to relate to and steps to move forward wherever you find yourself. So I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Steve Dotto. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back. It's been a very long time to the show. Steve Dotto. Steve, welcome back. Have I been on your show before? So here's the thing. You've never been on the show by yourself. So this is this is an inaugural I was going to say offense, Uh, instance, (laughs) but
2: it could could end up being an offense by the time we're done.
1: Yes. But back in the day, Mike Vardy, Steve Dotto, Eric Fisher, the productivity blab that we used to remember. Remember blab anyway,
2: Eric, I miss it. I was just talking about it the other day. I miss it so much.
1: Yeah. For those of you that don't know, blab was basically. Four video squares, and you could jump in, and then there was chat on the side, and people could jump in and out. And it was clubhouse before clubhouse, it was
2: and public zoom, and it was all streamed in it. They had really good tech. It had just streamed effortlessly online and it had a social platform attached to it so people could find who was talking what topics they were interested in. And it had a fantastic listener engagement engine. The chat was super active and you could pop people in and out of the chairs at different yeah. times. It just had the potential to be such a, you know, every time I hear about, you know, people get all excited about Clubhouse. You got to go to Clubhouse. And like, yeah, yeah, we've been there. We had the best.
1: And it's never been repeated. Don't get me wrong. There are other... Excellent video tools that are out there that do some of that well, but nobody does all of it well like Blab did. R.I.P. Blab.
2: R.I.P. Blab. And, and and once again, I curse you, people who founded it, that you never figured out how to make it work.
1: Yeah. So that was 2015, six, 2016, back when we yeah, were. That's
2: right. You took advantage of, the, of our excellent Blabs in, in, in our social reach, and you would record our stuff and then use it as your own.
1: Hey, I had permission from you and Mike, and Mike actually asked to use one or two of them, and then I couldn't use them, and that was fine. So Okay, okay. So we've known each other, though, since like 2014 or earlier in the online space, and you've always been a friend. It's always been great to see you when we're both speaking or attending or whatever, the same events, and I've loved seeing what you've been doing lately with not only your Patreon courses but also the Gray Matters podcast. So I'd love to spin off people, you know, hey, You've got an avid listener base right here. There's probably some people that would love to listen to your show. What is Gray Matters or the Gray
2: Matters? Okay. You caught me totally embarrassed because I it's kind of in hiatus as I've been doing some other things.
1: Well, that's all right. But, they can go back and catch up in the meantime. Yeah.
2: So I reached a point uh, after having something, If people don't know, I've I've been fairly successful on YouTube as kind of a how to uh, how tour. My background going way back in antiquity is I was hosted at TV and radio shows in Canada on technology, and I did that that for the better part of two decades. As a matter of fact this year we're coming up 2022 1992 i did my first tv show on technology oh, wow. on computers wow. 30 years of broadcasting about technology wow. which congratulations is a, thank you so i'm old and i <laughs> and i make my living on youtube or i did and that makes me kind of unusual It's like a unicorn people have heard of people that are my age and look like me that make their living on youtube but they've never actually seen them because it's a young person's game is it not and it was really starting to Bother me that baby boomers were not really represented online on YouTube too well. And that combined with starting to talk to some of my old friends and colleagues who were, I thought, just unbelievably talented and gifted managers and and, in this sort of stuff. And they were starting to be aged out of their jobs and their professions, even their industries. And they were having trouble finding work. And they were coming to me saying, Steve, it's, you know, it's, it's tough out there. Ageism is real. I'm going, nah, it's not, look at me. I'm on YouTube. I'm successful. What are you talking about? And they're going, no, no. And when I started to recognize that indeed ageism is starting to become really prevalent, I started, I don't know what happened, but I kind of went into a rabbit hole, Eric. I started to think it has it always been like this. Is it something that our parents experienced? And here's some things that just struck some of the things that are happening in the world that make it very unique for my generation, for baby boomers and Gen X. When my parents retired in nineteen sixty five, if, if somebody like I would have been seven years old, eight years old. If a person retired at the age of sixty five in nineteen sixty five, what was their life expectancy? It's quiz time, Eric. Give me a number.
1: Oh gosh. Okay. Um let's go with let's go with eighty.
2: Yeah, eighty is not a chance. The average man who retired at the age of sixty five lived to sixty nine. whoo 1965 they didn't live to see the lunar landing if they retired in 64 that was the kind of the thing so when you retired at that age you like you were just one foot in the grave and your savings had to only last for so long but more importantly your engagement in the world you didn't necessarily feel quite as attached you weren't as relevant because you know the end was the end was nigh and i don't mean to be flippant about and light about it but today if you retire at age 65 your life expectancy is into your 80s, right? You've still got 19, 20 years. So if you're retired, that ends up being is a lot of us end up being marginalized at that point there. A whole bunch of reasons that you might not want to leave the workforce. One is money. Two is you still have something to give. We still have a burning desire to be relevant, which is the thing that drives me. And when I started to recognize that, I saw so many of my peers suffering. I it kind of was almost like a, you know, you have one of those epiphany moments, and I recognized that I've got a position, I've got a social platform, I see the problem, I've got credibility. Maybe I can make a difference. And so I started the Gray Matters podcast to talk about the issues and to start to encourage people from my generation to, if the world's marginalizing you, that you can sit there and you can whine and cry about it, or you can do something about it and you can build your own online business. You can create your own platform. And so many of my peers are intimidated by that technology, by the fact that they say, you know, they think the online business world is for millennials. It's not for our generation. And we don't realize that it doesn't matter, that there's no rules, that we have just as much a right to be successful online as anybody else and we can build YouTube channels. We can build podcasts. We can build online services. We can build the e-commerce sites. We can do any of that stuff we want. And we've got one huge advantage. We've got all these years of experience, all this suffering and all these failures that we've had over all these years. That is just pure gold. I mean, these, these poor millennials, they've never failed the way we failed. So they don't have all the experience in order to succeed the next time through. Gray Matters was started to do that. And as I sussed out and I, I started to get more and more traction and, and recognize it more. It, it led me to saying, I, we have to do something more practical. And, and we've built an online community, which we call the Great Wave, which is a an online portal where we teach baby boomers and Gen Xers how to build online businesses. And uh, so I've, I'm, I've become not a pragmatist anymore. I'm a passion printer. I'm, I'm building a community that is, it's important to the success of the people in the community as is the money, but the money's still important.
1: Yes, yes. See, and and none of this then surprised me when I received in the mail magically because the mail is magic sometimes that you even get it anymore. Oh, yes, yes. uh, <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. Uh your book and yes. I opened it up and it said no limit over 50 what to do when you've been let go, replaced, displaced or just want something different from life. And I thought, "Hmm, I am not 50 yet. I'm near I'll just confess, I'm near 44 right now. I'll be 44 in a matter of months. And I'm still young, but I can kind of see the 50 in the windshield. And I think a lot of other people that are listening can too, or they've passed it. It's in their rear view, or it's a passenger in the car, whatever metaphor you want to use. And so I'm really excited to kind of jump in here and talk about what are some of these different scenarios, you know, the Venn diagram where there's all these different, it's like a four-leaf clover yeah. or more. And in the middle, it's like there's no limit.
2: I love it. Yeah. Well, so first of all, so you 44. I'll, I'll use small words to make it easy for <laughs> you, Eric, if, if that'll help. Thank you. So, so the book, No Limit Over 50, 50, it wasn't it was my brainchild. One of the members of my gray wave community is a fellow named Bob Poole, who is a real sales guru. He's, a, he's, he's kind of one of those old vets that's been there, done that in the, in the business world. And he's developed a real, a real appreciation for the professionalism of sales. And in the process of selling. He's written other books and he definitely espouses the, you know, the, the, the concept of we have two years and one mouth and we should be listening to what our customers say, which dovetails really nicely with the, with my philosophy on building a business. So Bob pitched me, he said, you know, I I want to write a book on helping people of our generation who want to get back into the workforce or are being transitional. And unlike what we're doing in the gray wave where we're teaching them how to build an online business, some people it's not right for them to become entrepreneurial for a variety of very good reasons. They want to be an employee. They want to work for somebody. And the world has told us now, the the beautiful, wonderful world we live in, that if you're over the age of 60 and you retire, that's fantastic because there's this thing called the gig economy that you can step into and boy, we need you. And so we're going to take people who were corporate accountants and people who ran rental fleets for car companies. And we're going to say, you can be a greeter at Walmart, or you can deliver for Amazon in the gig economy. And we're going to take all of this vast years of experience. And we're going to just turn you into slave labor, essentially, which just pisses me off. You can, <laughs> yeah, I warned you that I might swear a little bit, but I don't think that just it makes me really angry. So, but here's the challenge that we face. So so there's one thing for me to to tell you, yes, you can become an entrepreneur and dig in and, and, and forge your own path. But for somebody my age, who say that their company is downsized or they've been pushed out by a younger management that doesn't like them, whatever, they've been right-sized or whatever. And now they're on the street. The gig economy is easier for them to fall into, but they really have value that they want to bring and retain in the workforce. But what they don't know is how to find a job again, because the rules have changed. When we, last time this person applied for a job, Eric, they brushed up their resume on a word processor, printed it off, made sure they had nice shiny shoes and a good haircut. And they handed it into an HR department and they interviewed with somebody. They talked to a person. And that person read their resume and how they interviewed was a big part of it. All of those were, were crucial. Today, you know, if you fill in an online application or if you submit your resume to somebody, a person doesn't read it. The algorithm reads it. And the algorithm looks on a person's resume for keywords. And if the right number of keywords are in place, then you move to the next stage of the evaluation process. And what's the next stage so often? Something completely foreign to most baby boomers is they don't interview you. They look you up. They look up your LinkedIn profile or your Facebook profile. They do a Google search for you. So you don't even get, you don't even get a chance to make a first impression. The first impression has been made. The machine, first of all, decides if you're worthy of consideration, then somebody looks at you online before you ever get to the point that you may be able to actually talk to somebody about the job. So we're in absolute ignorance of that, our generation. So the book was essential. As retraining for the people in my community, my peers that I've kind of dedicated to helping in this space. If if I help them build an online business, there's a lot of them that aren't going to want to build that business. But we needed to create this book to help them through that phase. And the book, it's kind of funny. I, have you written a book?
1: Some short self-published stuff with yeah. a friend. It's yeah. been years, ago
2: So. Normally, I think when you write a book, you're looking for a big audience and you look for something that has a lot of impact. In recognizing with this book that this book is designed for season and people's lives, this is never going to be a huge book, right? It's it's designed for that person who's in that transition phase so that they can understand the rules and, and kind of how to approach it. And so we talk a lot about, you know, what they do in their LinkedIn profile, how they how they tidy up their online reputation. So, I mean, there's some good stuff in there that's good general knowledge, but it's all really focused on them coming to terms with the way things are done. When I was a kid, my dad told me to cut my hair and polish my shoes and wear a good suit when I applied for a job. Right. But now I'm being we're trying to be
1: the dad to, to, to again, <laughs> saying this is what we have to do if you want to find a job again. Dot com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics
2: used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech.
0: If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity, from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out best laid plans available on all podcast platforms or visit my website, the com, T H E S H U B O X.com to learn more.
1: It seems to me, I, I can't remember. We've been hearing about this for a while where, you know, the, the rules have changed. In other words, for the last 10 years, I think it's somewhere in there. I can't remember the last time I heard of somebody who still is doing the like 30 years at a company and they give you the watch and you retire type thing. Everybody that I know of has seen these seasonal career shifts more frequently happening. In the latter years, even if they were around in the first part of the old under the old rules, the old guard, that somehow that shift has happened and people have pivoted either into side hustles or entrepreneurial stuff because they got smart and realized or they felt like, you know, this isn't satisfying me anymore or yeah. it's just cycled out.
2: If we look kind of we are so busy working and doing stuff that I think we lost touch with the, 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 the underlying reasons for this. You know, there's a couple of things that I think have caused that shift. And it, a lot of it's kind of laid at the feet of Gen Y and the millennials, uh, saying, you know, you guys don't have stick itiveness we might say, or you don't have a, you don't have a loyalty, and this sort of stuff. Well, let's let's look at let's look at the situation because we're talking about baby boomers. We're now at the age when we came into the job market. Remember that people were retiring at the age of sixty five, so which meant that there was room for us to slide in as people climbed that corporate ladder. But we're not leaving the jobs. Baby boomers are holding on as long as they can. Consequently, when the millennials started coming into the workforce, there was no room for them at the bottom. They were conscripted into being entrepreneurs. And the ones that did get a job couldn't progress through the company. Instead, the only way that they could advance was to go to another opportunity. So climbing the corporate ladder in today's vernacular is not moving through your system and kind of building building relationships and, and knowledge in your in your business, but instead it's laddering by jumping from company to company and, 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 and climbing the ladder that way because they were forced into it. They, I don't think that they came into the world saying we are more selfish than other generations. <laughs> Maybe our parenting did that to them. I don't know. But that's the nature of the kind of the mechanical process is that. And a big part of the bitterness towards baby boomers is that we they haven't opened up. I mean, we, it goes... We beyond just jobs. I mean, look what's happening in the housing market, et cetera. There's lots of reasons that the younger generations are less enamored with my particular generation. But regardless, that the the nature of that game, and that's what's happened. So seeing that that's the kind of the the, the rule today, and let's face it, that's the internal stuff that's happened with the businesses. And how many companies do you know of that have actually engendered loyalty from their employees? I mean, companies are just—you know—it's this. It's, there's a double whammy here. Companies are just terrible entities. They are despicable for the most part. There's very few, only ones where the CEO and the founder is still there, and they have a great moral background and fiber. Are the only ones that 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 engender any form of loyalty anymore? Anything that's large, why would you be loyal to them? There's no chance they're going to be loyal to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah that's been my experience and not just mine personally but from what I've observed from from other people it's everybody. Yeah, yeah it's just it, it's funny when we say the word loyalty and we and we bring up that metaphorical or historical instance again of somebody who's been somewhere for 30 40 50 years and they just slowly climbed and climbed or honestly, more realistically, didn't climb, but got a certain way up, and then they were they weren't allowed to go any further, and now they're retired. It's not that they necessarily had loyalty; it's that they had m- more of a dependency. That's just the way it was set up.
2: Yeah, from personal experience, um, you know that was blasted from my beliefs. My father was an engineer, and he worked for the same company. He was a materials handling engineer, building pulp mills here in, in Canada. And it was his specialty. And he was a company man. He stayed with the same engineering firm when he had better offers through the 70s because he was loyal. And at the age of 55, he was let go because they could have other engineers do what he did. Four-year-old engineers do it for a third less. And uh, he thought he was going to be taken care of his whole life, and but he was put to pasture. And I will never forget the pain and the suffering that that caused him in the, the sense of absolute betrayal. And at that point there, and I mean, we knew the president of the company, we knew it was a family run organization, you know, we'd been to Christmas parties every year, we knew them. And, uh, and so that, I think that's the moment that the, the being an entrepreneurial seed was planted deep in my, in my psyche. And my dad never recovered from that. I mean, he recovered, but he never forgave that.
1: Mm, Yeah. It, it, that, that seniority was not rewarded with loyalty in a mutual way. Yeah. He gave it, but didn't get it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's just business. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. It wasn't though, because he didn't treat it as business earlier. So yeah, <laughs> that's it. So there's a profound shift. So the, yeah, anyway, that's the book. You know, the book hopefully deals with helping anybody that has those sacred cows still in the, in the, they, they're being disabused of those notions pretty rapidly. But regardless, all baby boomers, all Gen X uh, or many. I just have to recognize what a different world it is. Not just they've experienced it corporately, but now getting back into the workforce, which can be really intimidating. And I, it's it makes me sad to recognize how many people that will just give up. You know, they will say, okay, maybe my time has passed. It has to be a dark thing. With everything else going on in the world, being relevant for many of us is really crucial to our psychological health, not to mention to our financial health. But being relevant, being a player, being still a contributing member of society now still helping you know contributing to your family in a positive way in your community you know that's that's a value that many of us share and if it's stripped away from you because of opportunity that's a pretty tragic thing
1: it seems to me that it would come across in some sort of form of being like a Post midlife crisis, kind of crisis in a, in a way, you know, yeah. you're wondering existential, like, like, what do I have of worth? Do I believe that I have it of my own? Or do I believe what I'm being told in subversive and some not so subversive ways?
2: Yeah. You know, when we talk about different generations, one of the issues, uh, one of the biggest workplace issues is uh, generational value systems. And I mean, really, as soon as we do that, we you have to recognize we are speaking in very gross generalities. But baby boomers and Gen X, the thing that we value most in ourselves is our experience, is what we've done. And we need to recognize that the generations coming up don't necessarily see experiences at value because they think experiences is something that they can Google. They can look it up. And so there there's a disconnect there. So when a when there's conflict in the workplace and and, in this, I mean this now extends into when you're applying for a job, you're gonna be applying somebody from a different generation, somebody younger than you. So there's an ego hit there, but there's also a value proposition. Because if I walk into a job interview, I want people to say, wow, Dotto, 30 years in media, building television shows, building video, a lot of respect, a lot of props for that in a difficult industry, surviving for 20 years in the broadcast world in a really difficult industry with your own property. Props, kudos. If I was walking into an interview and I said, yeah, well, for 20 years I hosted and produced a TV show, you know, the person who interviewed me could say, oh, big whoop, I posted a video of my cat falling off the back of the couch on TikTok and I got a million views. So what's so special about you, right? (laughs) <laughs> so it's like, so all of a sudden, like they they don't see the value. And for me, do not this my experience because that's who I am. It's very core to me. And a lot of the conflict that we find in the workplace happens because of those values, the generational values. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately. The millennials aren't going to see that for a period of time. It's just, it's not going to happen. It's, it's something that you've got to live life through to value your own experience before you recognize what it is. So it's up to our generation then to, to mitigate the situation, to understand what's happening, to park our egos and to kind of get on with things and and figure out how to get past the perceived slates that we see the world hoisting upon us, but it's a difficult thing to do.
1: Yeah. My experience in this is I am. I'm in that weird place where I'm at the very bottom of the Gen X yeah, generation. You're barely a Gen X. Yeah. yeah, being almost 44, I got to like 21, 22, 23, and even a little further than that before like the computer was as prevalent, slash, the internet was as ubiquitous, the smartphone even existed, and texting was a thing, you know, and that you could Google any and everything and and learn it. So I was growing up with one foot in each world. However, even as I'm growing up with kids who've never not known the Internet, basically, and touchscreens, I feel more akin to boomers and the elder Gen Xers than I do millennials and down below. And I think that it's that I see that, yeah, I can Google anything. But the experience and the formation of thoughts that are my own and incorporating something that's learning into that experience, it's kind of, you know, it's almost a hybrid kind of a way. It's it's kind of like what we say when people ask us, right? They're like, should I start a YouTube channel? Should I start a podcast? Oh, there's so many out there. It doesn't matter. No, because nobody has your unique experience, views, et cetera, to bring to whatever your chosen subject matter is.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and the Access to market, the access to the world is you know, profound in a way that it never was before. You can have a very small niche that if you had to deal regionally, which you would have had to do, say in the sixties or seventies, you could never build a business, but now you can build an international business with a very small subset of the society because you can reach them all. And so though all of those opportunities kind of, kind of get amplified. There's something else, though, so I think in what you're saying. You are recognizing seeing the transition in life from AA into a far more digital and search based world. I think that the the two terms that are defining our current epoch is search and algorithm. Those are the two kind of overriding terms that have profoundly affected all of us in in, in every way. But what you're feeling is change. You're feeling that you knew a way if uh, you knew a way the world was and now things are changing and the reason you feel a kinship with the older generations is you're suffering the same malady you're suffering through change it's not so much where you are on that on the on the technology spectrum but obviously yourself who was computer literate from a very young age is you still can experience that angst and that difficulty because the change is relentless my parents and maybe your parents grew up thinking that they knew everything they had to know when they were in their mid 30s there's nothing new in the world there's nothing new that they had to learn because the world moves slowly. So consequently, they didn't become lifelong learners and they didn't grow a capacity to weather change. And it's been thrust upon us. It's been forced upon us. And it's not diminishing. And we all feel it acutely in different ways. You know, here I'm the psychologist, Steve. <laughs> but I, I believe that your kinship is, is not necessarily on the technology piece, but is on the, the, the suffering of change.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I definitely could see that. That's definitely accurate. So, so when this <laughs> it's so, somewhat depressing, how much I do I owe you?
2: depressing for, your entire audience today.
1: <laughs> how much so do I'm I owe saying, you for the session? I don't session? want to be
2: productive. Dosh dos has got me all in the dumps.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how much do I owe you for the session? Yeah, yeah. Or maybe you owe me. I don't. I don't know how this works. Well, I don't anymore. owe you anything. There's you no rules anymore. I owe you nothing. So, so let's jump in here a little bit more and say, like, look, if people are finding themselves. Maybe being pressured or pushed to change or move or, you know, step aside or you're thriving, but you realize that what you've been doing isn't going to cut it for much longer. You, you're kind of being, you know, you've, you've been awoken in a prophetic way in some way about your own self-awareness and you're like, I need to do something else before I don't have any more time to do it in. Like, mm-hmm. what are some of those initial stages that people find themselves in at that pivot point? And what are the first steps to that?
2: It's funny that you mentioned the word pivot because in a lot of cases it is. It's, it's the ability to pivot and be able to change. And it's not being married to the past. Just because something worked for you before doesn't mean it's going to work for you in the future. And we've both gone through that with our jobs and with our careers. You know, I went from, uh, I went from television and radio, traditional media and newspaper. I actually wrote a newspaper column. I did all three of the big medias and found success in each one, which gave me a great deal of stability. And uh, and kind of structure, and then having each one of those one after another stripped away forced change to me. Now, so I could have gone in one of several directions, but I just kind of allowed. I went with the flow, and unfortunately, I fell in with a crowd that gave me good advice, et cetera. And and I still had some marketable skills. But when you are facing that diminishing return, you know that the fact that you're the now one of the last buggy whip makers as the cars are starting to come down the pipe. You have to be open to, to whatever change comes and you cannot double down on what worked in the past because it won't work in the future. I think it's, it's beyond some of us to do. The title of your podcast is Beyond the To-Do List. For some people, it's going to be beyond the pale. Right? It's just, <laughs> they just cannot deal with, with that level of change. But that becomes self-inflicted at some point because you're, you're living in denial if you don't, if you don't recognize that, that it's coming. So the best way... I think to prepare yourself or to discover what that pivot point is and where you can go is to ask questions and answer questions. You know, if you've got a specialty, if you're good at anything, I think the best book. If we're now, now we're talking about pivoting into entrepreneurialism or into building your own, hanging your own shingle, if if the world's going away from you, I think the best book that I ever read that set me on the path to success is Marcus Sheridan's "They Ask You Answer," because if you can stop something from hurting somebody else, you have an opportunity. If you can discover somebody's pain, somebody's challenge, somebody's disappointment, somebody's problem, and you can provide an answer and a solution and a direction for them, you have the seed of an online business or the seed of a business, an opportunity. And the way you find out what that pain is, is you, you answer their questions. Look for the places that they're asking questions. And if you know that space, you start to answer those questions. And in the answering questions, you open dialogue and dialogue leads to clarity and clarity leads to you then seeing the picture and being having the capacity to perhaps pivot because you'll discover the opportunity in that dialogue. And I realize that sounds very ephemeral and that sort of thing, but it comes down to those conversations. When a person builds an online business and starts out, let's say they create a course if you were to just create a course that you wanted to create tomorrow and sell it to the public, I can almost guarantee you it would flop. Whereas if you listen to what your audience is saying and they told you over and over again what they're interested in and you then built a product for them in consultation with them, that product will succeed because it's what they want. We get caught up in what we want and we don't necessarily look at what's needed. You know, if you're interested in 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 pivoting, it. You know, I I won't even talk about the psychological impact and all those things. Just from a pragmatic point of view, if you can solve somebody's problem, you have an opportunity. It becomes easy to pivot if you're helping people. If you're doing something that's forward momentum.
1: Well, and the two thoughts there. One is perhaps in whatever role you had up till this point, you've been disconnected maybe once or twice or three more or more layers away from. Yeah, you're helping your coworkers, but you're not necessarily helping that end user in whatever organization or business you were in. And this is going to feel way more one-to-one or one-to-many, but like one-to-one in a one-to-many kind of a way. And that's going to feel, I assume, because it does for me, way more rewarding than what you used to do. And number two is this is a simple way to say, hey – that technology that you may not know enough about, you can still use it even as a slow sloping increase and in education to do some of this. It's an easy way it, to shoehorn in. And for for those that don't know, a shoehorn is a just kidding.
2: <laughs> I said mothball today in a in a <laughs> webinar, and somebody people go, "What's that?" Oh, you, wow, they don't know the term. Okay, it's. Yeah, we're commiserating. Yes.
1: So that's a good way to start. It's not just a good way to start. It's a good perspective to have as you consider starting or start starting.
2: Yeah. And it's never too early to do that. Even if you're in a secure job and you're your age, you should be thinking about what the options are because change happens fast and having role played or thought about or engaged in something else is always, always going to have tremendous value. You know, the side hustles are really foreign to my generation. I think it's a little bit more in your belly whack, another term that maybe people don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that there, I think that they are almost an insurance policy in this day and age.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think of what else I'm, I'm, tr- I'm literally, I've got the book here in front of me and I wanted to pull open and say like, there's a lot in here one, it's not a big book. It's a good book, but it, it's a condensed. To read. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's perfect for anybody. Do, do you
2: see how big the font is? It's, we made the font big for big books. <laughs> I did books. notice
1: that. It's a really good idea. I'm like, ooh, this is easy to read. And then it said the it, guy who got it. glasses earlier this year. So <laughs> did it for me.
2: Yeah. Did it for me. That's great.
1: There's just so much in here broken down into chapters in terms of what a new resume would look like in terms of what creating an actual social media presence looks like and other things like that. And, and obviously talking about some of the, 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 you know, the status of here's where you are, here's where the world is. I'm wondering if there's a good way to put a pin on this. Obviously I think that anybody who's getting near this situation, near these circumstances, uh, like you said, even, even me, I need to be thinking about this and and reading up on this, but anybody who's, who's further along in years than me, even more so. Yeah. So,
2: so, I mean, if if I put a pin in it for, for the ones that are along and they, they think, okay, I don't need the book because I'm not thinking about changing jobs. And if I do, then I'll deal with it. Well, there is the one aspect I will say, that, and you don't need the book for this, but you need to recognize that absence of being in social media. It is not a benefit to you. If you apply for a job and you go, I'm not worried about them finding anything bad on me on Facebook because I never use Facebook. Fair enough. But if somebody who is a 30-something is looking at hiring me, a a 62 year old something, and they do a search on me and they come up with crickets, they're suspicious because Mm -hmm. they don't have the frames of reference they need to make the decision. So disengaging, while I can understand it from a Social perspective and from a philosophical perspective, from a pragmatic perspective, it is a bad idea. You should engage somewhere in social. So you have established a your bona fides there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maintaining some sort of bare minimum social presence that establishes you as a first it impression shows that
2: you live in the world we live in today. Yes. Last thing they want to do is get somebody in who's going to say, forget that. I need a rotary phone on my desk and I need a Rolodex.
1: <laughs> grace, grace. Uh, that's a throwback to uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> um, I think that. Then landing there, I mean, and, and as much as I would envy somebody who doesn't have social media and doesn't really think about that, it's, ca- it's gotta be kind of nice. At the same time, I do think you're right. And there is kind of this bare minimum threshold. I personally, I, and I'm going to ask you what your thought is. My thought is probably not Facebook. It would probably be LinkedIn because obviously we're yeah. talking career related and that's an easy enough one to maintain and find connections and not seem obnoxious on.
2: Yeah, no, that's the perfect one.
1: So I I would say that one as like a bare minimum, and then maybe a Twitter and or maybe an Instagram.
2: Oh, no, I'd go 100% TikTok, baby. 100% TikTok.
1: (laughs) Okay. I think
2: think here's my final piece of advice. Take care because advice over mine.
1: (laughs) There's a lot in the book, though. I think that just people who, again, need to be starting to prepare or are already past that point and should maybe catch up a little, need to jump in on. And yeah, like I said, LinkedIn is a great place to just, it's also the simplest one.
2: You know, Eric, now that I think about it, when you're mentioning all of those other social platforms other than LinkedIn are true social platforms, whereas LinkedIn is a professional platform. So I think if I was to actually, when we kind of boil it back, give one piece of advice is I would definitely say LinkedIn. If you do not find personal value in a Twitter, a Facebook, Or an Instagram where you actually find personal joy and satisfaction out of being on those platforms. The one to grit your teeth and become part of and establish a presence in would be LinkedIn. And you can do that just by commenting on a few posts, just by having your profile up and just engaging in the dialogue, which is relevant to what you are interested in. And it will serve all those purposes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Be able to find, you know, follow a hashtag when it comes to whatever your interests are and we're talking professional interests like yeah. podcasts video film things like that and yeah. and that's the content you'll be served as well as the connections that you you know and say, you can be connected to people that you don't follow you can mute them there too but yeah. <laughs> make it a lot easier to, to navigate but, but
2: contribute yeah. contribute yeah. to the community perfect
1: yeah. steve any place you want to direct people to find out more about the book and or dig in a little further
2: the book is all at no limit over 50.com and uh, my content is all either at dototech.com or if you're interested in becoming a baby boomer entrepreneur, we are the gray wave.
1: Awesome. And I'll throw in the podcast link as well for uh, the gray matters and people can and catch I'll up feel while terribly you're
2: guilty about not no, having new episodes for a while.
1: No, it's like learning about a TV show when it's in between seasons. It's perfect.
2: Okay, fair <laughs> Thank you for that, Eric. Thank you for my get out of jail free card.
1: You're welcome. So, Steve, great to see you. And let's do it again soon. And good luck.
2: I have missed you, buddy. I'm looking forward to when we can sit down and have a pint together.
1: Yes, me too. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Steve Dotto. And again, don't hesitate to click through the show notes of this episode to grab the book. If you find yourself in some situation that's listed in the subtitle, again, you've been let go, you've, you've been replaced or displaced, or honestly, you just want something different from life, regardless of if you're over 50 or nearing 50, make sure to check out the book. It's a great work by Steve Dotto, as well as his co-author, Bob Poole. If you found this conversation helpful, I would love for you to share it with somebody that you know needs to hear it. You can do that by hitting the share button on your podcast player app of choice, or again, by heading over to the show notes at list.com. Thank you so much for those of you who share the episodes. It really means a lot to me. It helps spread the word. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next episode.